Oh yeah, this is the intro <laughs> to the after word. Word. <laughs> okay, what's the most disappointed you've ever been? I was a kid, and I expected that I would get um, a, a train, like a toy train. How old Christmas. are we talking? I don't know, like elementary school age. Okay, a train, like a choo-choo train. Yeah, like like a like an electric like train. Power, like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, like a toy train for. But a it's boy. powered that goes on its own. Yeah, yeah. And I ripped open that box because I, which you were pretty sure contained the train. Yeah, I think my parents they weren't great at surprises or anything, so they they were just like, "What do you want for Christmas?" And I was like, <laughs> "This," you know. I back in the day with the Sears catalog. Oh yes, do you remember Sears? I do. I'm yeah. a Gen Xer, so I looked through yeah. that catalog and I circled things. Me too. And Absolutely. So that's pretty much it. I was pretty focused, pretty dang clear, and I open up the box and guess what's in there? Uh, oh, let me guess. Is it is it clothes? Um, a, a Casio musical keyboard. Oh. From Costco. I wanted, a, I wanted a toy, and they gave me a musical instrument. Were you musical at that time? I didn't know I was, but I was. It ended up being amazing, but it was exactly the thing I didn't want. Wow. So that's an example of God using for good something that was meant for ill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a Casio keyboard kind of a, is a cool gift if you're musical, but if you're... So did you start playing around on it? If you're into Napoleon Dynamite, you know, like <laughs> kind of the 80s keyboard stuff, it's cool, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I, I started playing on it. Yeah. All I can think of is Ross Geller from Friends playing. <laughs> do, are you, yes. do you know what I'm talking uh -huh. about? You know, I've, I've never played my stuff for anyone before. So it's important that, that you understand it's about communicating very private emotions. <laughs> You know, um, you should you should think of um, my work as wordless sound poems. <laughs> That's what I'm. Oh going my God! To. Play. Yes. Do, 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 do. Yeah. Pew, pew. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my music. But then that was like sort of my my my, my entry into musical worship. Oh, like wow. I started kind of noodling wow. around on it and then eventually got invited to a little student ministry worship band and uh, Did you ever take musical lessons? Like uh, piano lessons? I did not do piano lessons. I had I played violin in school. Oh, so no. I, I learned how to do really? treble clef. Uh, yeah, treble. Yeah. Wait, why did you choose the strings? Because my sister, who's four years older, did. Um, interesting. Yeah. Do you st can you still play stringed instruments, Andy? Oh yeah. Really? Uh huh. Wow. Have you ever seen the River Dance? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm thinking of the Titanic theme song. Yeah. That's that's incredible. So that was the. Mo did you ever get a train? Not really. No. Not really. Uh uh. You actually perfectly made the 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 point we're trying to make here. And I wasn't intending. You just asked me what was the I know, most I just disappointed. Wondering. And yeah. I was like, I want a train. It was like, here's a keyboard. I was like, I don't know anything about <laughs> music or keyboard. Why did you get me this? Oh, that's, my, that is fascinating. Because my father was into music. Oh. So he was giving me what he liked. Oh, I thought you were talking like you did father. Because my heavenly father knew that I... He's a good, <laughs> good father. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget that you were, um, or they don't, maybe they don't know. They don't know. That you were an aspiring musical artist. Yeah. That you were a worship pastor for decades. Yeah. 
decades uh, decade um, about a decade sure. decade yeah. decade and a half mm-hmm. that was kind of that was and then and then you went into leadership mm-hmm. yeah that was kind of you've had like a multi-act career Andy. things were things were forming all at the same time and, oh that's crazy yeah oh can i tell you a different disappointment story? oh i would love to hear it because you just made me rethink this one's oh, funny and it's okay. embarrassing to me i can't wait but i love misery loves company sure so. let's share it okay so i at my aspiring moment of trying to be a Christian worship rock star, whatever, I got invited to open for Mercy Me. Oh yeah. That's a big band. In Vacaville. Oh, well, and <laughs> one out of two is not bad. I worked every day. I worked hard on an opening set. Sure. To now had they already done, I can only imagine. Cause that's one oh, of the, yeah. big, that's one of the biggest hits it, of like yeah. the 2000s. Yeah. And I was imagining what it'd be like to open for them. <laughs> and so I was, I'm working my tail off to be ready to go. I show up the day of yes in the parking lot yep and the, there's a, like a, a volunteer checking people in and he says like and he's collecting money and he says hey what's your name and I said my name's Andy and I'm just like waiting for it and he's like uh, I don't have you on the list I'm like you, I'm supposed to be on the list I'm o- I'm opening for Mercy Me and he's like no you're not on the list uh, it'll be twenty bucks to park here and I just remember like no I started getting kind of like anxious. My wife, Lindsay, was with me. She just like held my hand, like, just give them the 20 bucks. We'll figure it out later. I park, I go check in, and basically they're like, I don't know what happened, but you're in like the third, fourth venue offsite in the parking lot. Like you're not even in the stadium. You're like in the parking lot on like a little makeshift stage. And um, then they gave me a, quote, backstage pass so that I could kind of like move around, but it was just to move around the parking lot. So I went from this expectation of opening for Mercy Me and it ended up playing to nobody in the parking lot in Vacaville in a hundred degree heat. Oh boy, that is... <laughs> I saved it. I have that back. That's, backstage pass. That's pretty terrible. It, it, so you saved it. Why did you save it? As a reminder of the humiliation that you went through? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah that, Dude, that's rough. Yeah. How did you recover? Uh, lots of years of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, I have a great wife who tends to be able to laugh more quickly than I do in disappointments. Oh, and we went and had a burrito and laughed and yeah. Well, man, I'm okay. Where it's all good. <laughs> a lot of those disappointments form us and work out in sure. our favor. So. Wow. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's pretty bad. You want a backstage pass? No. Oh, with that, we're going to get into this week's message. Uh, I've got Andy Gridley and Dana Clifford here, and we are going to talk about uh, this moment in Matthew where John the Baptist asked Jesus a question because he's really disappointed in the way things are going. So with that, let's just dive right in. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Afterward. I'm Dave Tish. I am here. Oh, this is exciting. This is exciting for so many reasons, because in the studio with me, I've got Andy Gridley and Dana Clifford. Unbelievable. Yeah. I'm so I'm so pumped. We're glad to be here. We're almost as excited as you. Well, I I love any podcast where I get two people because it's I just I just think I don't thirsty. I don't have to. Well, I don't have to talk as much. And it's really exciting. Now, I will talk as sure, much. I'm not sure I ever get as excited as Dave. So <laughs> that, that is true. Ever in my life. Um, so this past week, uh, we talked about um, this moment in, in the book of Matthew, which is actually a pretty sobering point. But actually, out of it, I came away feeling tremendously encouraged by what you guys are talking about and also what Jesus is talking about. But that's a moment when John the Baptist is imprisoned. Um 
he's imprisoned for speaking out against a um, a religious leader. Do you want to give a little bit of the context of that? Yeah, yeah. Um, Danny, feel free to jump in. But yeah, he, he here's this guy who's been faithfully serving God and developing a pretty big following, pretty big crowd. God seems to be really using him, and then um, he does. He speaks against a, a ruler who's uh, some some evil of that ruler, and boom, he finds himself imprisoned um, in a fortress that pretty much was, you know, like Fort Knox. It's Nobody's getting in. Nobody's now, you did out. a little bit of work on this because yeah. uh, I think this was a rabbit trail that you really liked. Yeah. Uh, it, talk to me Steve about Steve where... Clifford. I got all his story, and it was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it's... Talk it, to me about it. What was it called? What was the name of this place? Yeah. To have the, a name? Yeah, so according to Pliny the Elder, a Ooh, lot of our listeners like Pliny the Elder. fantastic beverage. Uh, this <laughs> Roman author, uh, this this fortress was called the Palace Fortress of Macarius, and it sat up on top of this this hill. The, the picture is really impressive of it. Way high up on top of this hill, he looks down on the Red Sea, those kinds of things. And other than um, Jerusalem, it was the most fortified kind of palace of its day. So, And it was for keeping political prisoners? Um, it was, yeah, a couple things, but basically a Roman uh, fortress for war. And they just happen to be keeping John there. So oh, man. You're not getting in. You're not getting out. So it's a little bit like being in Alcatraz back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's or, a good... Yeah, St. Quentin, uh-huh. something like that. Yeah. Um, so he is... But Dave... Yeah, go ahead. As you said, as you said, political prisoners, that's what I'd just been thinking of, that mm. John, he didn't do anything. He didn't kill anybody or, you know, cause a riot necessarily or anything like that. But he spoke out against this ruler, Herod, and Herod didn't like it, so he just threw him in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. So I think what, what's interesting, though, it, it, that you point out, which we're not yet at, mm. is Jesus in the next chapter, in chapter 12, is about to pick some fights. Mm. Um, he, But there's an opposition here between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness that is getting, uh, it's picking up steam, to, right. to your point, yeah. and that is about to come to a head and we'd like to, I love the first part of Matthew cause it's all like the miracles and he's arrived and yeah. look at, he's calming storms and healing people. It's all beautiful. And then it comes into conflict with There's the world system and yeah. it's like, I'm There's less friction. Yeah. Yeah. That's the story. But I think I do like to, in general, as a human camp out on the, the nice and the peace and not so much on the confrontation. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's about to get real. So John the Baptist is imprisoned, and he is under threat of death. And he sends a message to Jesus. Yeah. Basically, are you the one who is to come? Basically, are you the Messiah, or should we wait for another? Mm-hmm. Which is so. When uh, talk to me a little bit, because that is an insane sentence coming from John the Baptist, who in utero flipped around in his mother Elizabeth's womb when Jesus entered the room. So it's yeah. It's not like John is fuzzy on this. So what's going on here? Yeah, Dana. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's his circumstances. And he probably didn't expect to be in, in prison. His own personal circumstances, but also just what his picture of who Jesus the Messiah would be uh, and what that was going to look like. And it just wasn't what was coming about. So I think his expectations were being flipped here too and and so he's like okay i need to check this out who i'm the one that's been saying to others this is the messiah well what's going on here and so he sends his 
some people and say, okay, are you him or should we just keep waiting? Right. Which is kind of a, uh, an interesting backhanded like confrontation with Jesus. Like, Hey, are yeah. you going to get me out of this? Right. Like, cause I'm a good guy and the bad guys have the good guy. <laughs> like what, what's happening here? This can't, yeah, this can't happen this way. Right. Yeah. Earlier in Matthew, Matthew three, you know, he's, he's talking to this crowd and he's saying this, this Jesus, this one that's going to come after me. Um, not only is he going to give blessing, but he's, he's finally going to make all this wrong, right. You know, he's going to go after evil. Um, he's going to get it done. And after John then confronts some evil, he's stuck in a jail cell and he, <laughs> he's going, I did everything right. What's going on? Right. Here? Right. You know, I did everything right. And I'm stuck here. Uh, boy, that is a powerful sentence. Yeah. Um, it seems to me like quite a few people can maybe identify with that. Yeah. Um, like they feel like they didn't let down God, that they were trying to be faithful and, and yet things have not turned out the way that they maybe thought. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's kind of a human thing. So, um, but before we even get into that, cause I want to talk about that. Cause I think disappointment with, or at, the word, I think the word you guys used was expectation. Like the idea that Jesus is yeah, dis- dis- disappointment around our expectation of maybe- right. That we have expectations of how God's going to act. Yeah. It's part of this, just the simple fact that back in John's time, there was such a, a, a tie to the nation of Israel and the political occupation by Rome that they just really expected Jesus to overthrow Rome and re reset Israel as the rightful heir. Is part of it just that misunderstanding of Jesus's uh, kingdom that they mm-hmm. thought it was going to be more of a political kingdom? Is that like most of it, or is that some of it, or how do you guys process that? I, as I understand, I'd be curious what Dana thinks, but as yes, and as as I understand myself (laughs) and a lot of other people. And I understand, you know, centuries that are documented in the scripture, our, our human story is pretty much over and over, um, a desire to want to have things done our way and our time, et cetera. It's really a struggle around our trust of, of letting God lead. And so I think, yeah, there's a, there's a very geo specific, you know, historical specific. Yeah. Um, cloaked understanding of expectations. And then there's just a reality that's very, the very human, which yeah. is God, why aren't you doing things the way I expected you to do them when I want you to do them? Man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little convicted. Yeah, just, I, don't, yeah. I, I don't think John the Baptist was the only one. I mean, when you think sure. about the other people that followed Jesus and, you know, he, he would say, Hey, I'm going to the cross. And they're like, ah, yeah, no, that's not what this Messiah is supposed to look like. So their picture was more on the, conquering triumphant hero yeah yeah and you know actually jay talked last week about him being the victor so he is it just looked so different with this first coming of jesus and what he was he was there to accomplish than what they're um and, and it was they were so much more around um, the nation, not just individualistic, which we are, we're much more leaned towards that. But as the nation, Jesus was the Messiah mm-hmm. was to um, come and and bring glory to the nation of Israel and and conquer the world and all of that. So I think it was it was very hard to see something that looked different than that. Yeah, 
Well, one of the things that I know that you guys didn't get to, but one of the things that I thought was pretty interesting also is how, to your point, Dana, how deeply Jewish this is, yeah. how deeply Jewish, because not just their expectations of the Messiah, but they had plumbed the scriptures. And there's a lot of scholars who think that Jesus's response is actually a really fascinating coded response back to John the Baptist. Um, and the idea is that in the first century, uh, when these Jewish rabbis were there, they're they're plumbing the, the scriptures for what the Messiah is going to look like. And one of the central texts they would have gone to is Isaiah, which has all these descriptions about God's suffering servant, his his representative, his Messiah. And the idea is that there uh, something like there's seven different attributes mm. that they were able to pull out, yeah. and that these attributes would have been as common to the Jewish people or to the Jewish religious leaders, certainly, as like the Bill of Rights is for us or the Ten Commandments, that kind of thing. And so, um, do you have that list or? I don't have, I don't, I just have his response. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So he, I think the seven were something like, you know, he's going to set the, the, the prisoner free. He, that's the last, he's going to heal the sick. He's going to make the lame walk. He's going to make the deaf hear. He's going to make the blind see, dead raised. Uh, make the dead raised. And yeah. so there's like these seven core attributes. And then in his response, what's fascinating is Jesus responds back with, well, you, you can read it. Yeah, so Matthew 4, Jesus replies to this question, are you the one who does all those things yeah. that you just described? He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, there's one. The lame walk, there's another one. Leprosy are cleansed. Deaf hear. Dead are raised. Good news is proclaimed to the poor. And that's it. That's six. That's six. But he doesn't go seven. Yeah. He leaves out the prisoners will be set free. Yeah, and... Who's his audience? John, John. sitting in oh a prison gosh. cell. It's, yeah. it's almost like a code. He's saying, John, you're not getting out here, kiddo. Mm-hmm. Buddy, uh, you're going to be in prison. Uh, that is, which leads us to the pastoral part. Uh, I thought I did everything right, and here I am sitting in this. Danny, you've been doing this for a long time. You have spoken with people for, for years. This idea of disappointment with God is a significant stumbling block, it seems, for people in their relationship with God. So talk a little bit about how you've seen that. And I guess the next thing is, guys, how, how do we get around that? Because mm. that's really disappointing. When when you have something that you really feel like is important that should happen and it doesn't, like that can be a stumbling block for for your relationship with God. Have you have you seen that? And how have you seen that uh, in, in your years of church work? Yeah, I of course, I've seen it over and over and over again. I've felt it in my own life over again. And now, maybe it's not even that we've felt like we did everything right but that mm-hmm. that we that god even sometimes it is that we deserve something different from god mm-hmm. um that if god is a good god then the difficult bad things shouldn't happen even taking it to in the world maybe it's not just personal but you know people say okay if god is really powerful and he's letting the world do this well why he can't be a good god that way so i do think there's just a lot of of expectations again that we have of god that may not be truth at all but it's what we feel um so so you know, John is experiencing this. He was the one that was going to prepare the way of the Messiah. And yet he's not really even getting to see what's going on right now because he's in prison. You know, in my own personal life, have had grave um, difficulties 
in um, the loss of our son Clay, where it was like, okay, God, I'm not saying you owe me, but I'm saying you owe me <laughs> because mm. here we are as pastors and serving you and mm -hmm. um, just a sense that God would do something different. Mm -hmm. um, not that we know that he doesn't, he does everything. He doesn't heal everyone. He doesn't cause every bad thing to go away. But, um, but there is that sense when it's in our own personal lives that we don't, understand why he would do it for one and he doesn't do it for another and all of that um messiness that comes with that and and there's no there's no clear answer for why god does sometimes what he does in one sense and not in another was that with the death of clay was that something that um just as a as a mom as a as a human was that something you had to wrestle with how long did it take you to wrestle with that disappointment and maybe is it, is that too light of a word is disappointment too light of a word in that case? Um, it is something that I wrestled with it. Yes. Steve wrestled with it. I don't, I don't know if just, yeah, whether it's disappointment or whether it's just grieving in a sense of God, we know you could have done something different and you chose not to, and then the anger that goes alongside of that, because those are just emotions. They're just our responses to it. And how long did it take? Well, there's sometimes it's still there. And there's sometimes still that sense of um, definitely a desire that it had, that it would have gone a different way. But then digging back in deep to, okay, how, how do I, how do I trust in the midst of emotions, and that's what that is. Emotions that I have, um, feelings, how do I dig back, back into the trust that I can trust God? I right. can trust it when it doesn't even look like what I want it to. Yeah. And I think that that's a bit of what John was trying to do. For me, it's, um, I, I have this disappointment. I have this stuff. I really know who you are. I just need some reassurance that you are Jesus about what you're supposed to be about mm. when it doesn't necessarily look that way in oh, my man. life. I, that's so good. It reminds me of two things. One is C.S. Lewis when he wrote his mm -hmm. kind of tome on, on grief. It's called a grief observed when his, his his wife died after having beaten cancer and getting a clear diagnosis. As you guys know, after about five years, they they say that you're in remission and you're clear. It, you're four. The cancer comes roaring back, takes his wife's life. And he said that it felt like he was outside the door knocking on God's house, on his door, and all the lights were off. Mm -hmm. And he's like, were, were you ever home? Mm -hmm. I thought you were. Yeah. But now I'm out in the street. Yeah. And it reminds me also of the, the famous poem by Emily Dickinson, um, which is about this very idea. Uh, I've never lost as much, but twice. It, I, for some reason, it sticks in my head. I'm going to read it. I've never lost as much, but twice. And that was in the sod. Twice I've stood a beggar before the door of God. Angels twice descending reimbursed my store. Burger, burglar, banker, father. I am poor once more. And I love this poem because she calls God burger and banker first. Like you took from me. And then banker, you're cold, you're unfeeling. Mm. And then she lands on father, mm. capitalized, because she had to go through burglar and banker 
Mm. She had to fight with that, the yeah. idea that God is a burglar and a banker, that he's taking from, that he's stealing, that he is cold and indifferent before she can get to the truth, which is what you just said, the father, the capital F father. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love, I love that Jesus in his response essentially shows, demonstrates God welcomes that progression right there. He welcomes our honesty. You know, he doesn't, when he says, hey, are you the one or should we be expecting someone else? Jesus doesn't say, you know, come on, John, you should know better. Or, <laughs> you know, you've done, you, I mean, I was turning that same sort of self-righteousness. You've done so much for me. You should know better. You know, he, what does he do? He begins to um, encourage him. Hey, this is true. This is true. You're in jail. It's not what you thought. How I'm um, confronting evil isn't what you thought. Um, but remember, all the other things are true. I, I am that guy you can trust. And I think that's really an important thing, exercise for me I shared with Dana that I'm learning to do. I'm not, I haven't really arrived there. But first, to be honest, but then to kind of zoom out a little bit more and say, what else is true about what God's doing in my life outside of this disappointment or this expectation that isn't met? Here's the other thing I love is he defends John. He, he goes on and he says, hey, there's been no one greater than John. Right, you know, and then he has this very again very Jewish kind of coded thing. But he says, "Who'd you go out to look for in the desert? Was it was it a reed?" And we would say, "Like, were you looking for somebody who was like really, you know, wishwashy and flimsy? Um, were you looking for somebody who was in nice clothes?" We would say, "You know, somebody who's kind of soft." And and Jesus is basically standing up for John and saying, "No, this guy has had a solid faith. He is not wishwashy. He's but." his question is real. I think Jesus is defending him. And that gives me a lot of hope when I get in these moments mm -hmm. where I'm like really disappointed or like, God, I expect you to do the work this way that I can actually move towards God with that disappointment. He can hold it well. Yeah. Well, then he, John goes on to, or Jesus goes on to say about John that not only has not, no one been born of woman, the greater than John the Baptist, but he says, even the, doesn't he say even the least in the kingdom mm, yeah. is greater than yeah. him? Is that, is that, is this the point where he says mm -hmm. that? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. which to me is, and then he says, blessed is he who doesn't fall away on account of what I do or don't do. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is basically blessed is he who doesn't fall away just because I'm not acting in the way that they think. Yeah. Right. Because, and, and I love this because if you think about it, and this is insane to say you and I, all of Dana, you, me and, and Andy all have more information about Jesus and what he is and what he's doing than John did. Yeah. And sure. because we know how it ends, right? We, he had, John had no concept that Jesus was going to bust through the doors of death and conquer death and sin. He had, I mean, I don't know if he had categories for yeah. exactly how that was going to happen. Right. Uh, but we do. We do. So we actually are in some ways, like he says, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than we're like, we're further along with the knowledge of God than John the Baptist, which is. That's an insane thing to think that we have a, we have more prophetic information than John did. Yeah. And at the same time, when it comes to trusting, trusting is a relational context yes, and yes. it's not just about information, Yeah, which is really beautiful. What Jesus invites at the end, both of us had the privilege of reading some really 
incredible famous words they're you know put on coffee cups and all this stuff you know <laughs> but but in this context they take on a really beautiful meaning jesus yeah. is saying hey in the midst of your disappointment etc yeah you can know all kinds of things about me in fact you quoted c.s lewis he he first wrote a book very cerebral on the issue of pain in the world he was able to write an apologetic that apologetic wise cognitively made the a problem whole lot of, of sense. pain right that yeah. was his book yeah and then he wrote this second book you referred to which is i think around trust like hey I, i've lost somebody i knew everything about god and ethics and yeah. but but it's a different thing to actually walk it and we all have experienced that that's uh, why I think the invitation of Jesus here is so beautiful. And the invitation being, come to me? Yeah, walk with yeah. me. No, you can still trust me. We can still do this together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, is, and, and really more uh, a, a, a drawing a drawing in. I mean, come to me. I, I, when you think about that, that is bring it all. Bring all your questions. Bring all your hurts. Bring all your expectations bring them to me and then let us do this together. Let's, let's um, walk in this together. And then the end of it being that, you know, he talks about this yoke thing, but that, that coming together is easy and my, my Mm. burden is light. And um, most of the time we don't feel um, that the world are, Mm. difficulties the stuff even of of religion whatever we think that is we don't think of it as easy and light um but jesus is is saying that i've I've got something here that um brings that to your life just come to me and um, find out what that looks like Mm. and that's just a beautiful invitation Mm -hmm. especially for those who are deeply suffering who feel like Mm -hmm. the world is crushing them because I think, uh, and again, I'm I'm not the person to speak on this. I'm probably the least bereaved person, maybe at Westgate. But from what I understand, grief really does feel heavy. It feels like a crushing thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think this invitation of Jesus to like, either I'll stand beside you and lift it, or um, when you're with me, it's not heavy. Or I can I some some something is going on here, which is a really powerful an inviting thing for those who understand what, what what's happening here. Yeah. There's this beautiful invitation like, Hey, you weren't really designed to carry all those disappointments. I mean, this is why Jesus came as he took all that. And en- en- how do you say that? Enmity, <laughs> that word upon himself. He, he actually um, conquered evil and death and, and everything sad, right. Is becoming untrue in Jesus. Um, we see in part now and we'll see in full. So there is this beauty of him shouldering with me. And then the other interesting thing about a yoke is there's a, it's actually a work instrument. It's like you put this on to do the reps. And I think... Because you're plowing a field. Yeah, one of the things that I love about Westgate and, and the work that's been done for many years, even before I joined the staff, is just the, the honesty of what it means to follow Jesus means to do the work with him. So there's a different way to approach the disappointments in, in a marriage or the disappointments with a kid or your career, et cetera. There's a way to do uh, life with Jesus that we talk a lot about here as far as discipleship and apprenticeship that actually leads to life. It may not feel like it. I, 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 how I would rather is, if I'm John the Baptist, I would rather... Um, sort of just let Jesus make me feel better and then 
like just receive, but I think there's, there's an effort, there's an act that's involved in this, this trusting. Uh, if it truly is a relationship, it's got to go two ways. So, um, yeah, so that's really good. Uh, yeah, I think of go ahead. just kind of, uh, I, I know we're getting to the close here, but I love how in second Corinthians, Paul says this too. I, you know, sometimes I read these things and I'm like, yeah, I, I don't get how to really do that, Yeah. but I know that to be true. And I want that. But he says in second Corinthians four, starting at verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart yeah. though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, mm. but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And uh, so much of the time, I don't think of my problems as light and momentary. <laughs> but in the big span of what all God is bringing to me and and the life that I will have with him, if I can keep that perspective, then um, I hold on to knowing that this isn't all there is, what I'm feeling right now. Yeah, boy, that's um, a powerful, powerful reminder that, um, and Jesus is going to do for John the Baptist what he can't even imagine, right? Yes, right. Like, he is going to be untouched by death. <laughs> right. Even though he's killed. Yeah, uh, that's astonishing. Uh, they, there's not really categories for that in John the Baptist's mind. No offense to John the Baptist, I don't think any human could have possibly imagined such a thing. And if that's true back then, then it's true now. That the what God has in store to put things back together, yeah, is somehow so mind blowing. Yeah, so good that it, it almost makes up for whatever trouble we had to be light and momentary. And that is an astonishing promise. I, I don't think I've ever encountered mm. in any, anything else, <laughs> you know, ever, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It's just, it's just an incredible promise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. Well, thank you guys for um, delving into this, this awesome and difficult passage. I pray that you will never imprisoned. I would like very much. Have you guys ever been in prison? Have Have you ever been to jail, Dana? Have you ever been in jail? Have you ever been arrested? The prisoner? No. I mean, I've gone to the jails and I've gone to the prison to be with those who are there, but not personally for my own thing. Oh, uh, Andy, have you ever been arrested or imprisoned? I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a fun discussion question. Talk amongst yourselves. Hey, I have a I have a benediction from a Franciscan monk. Oh, that uh, speaks about expectations. Do you, I, I want to hear it. Are you going to send us off there with this? Oh, if you'd like, I'd love you to. If Dana's okay with it. A Franciscan. Sure. Go okay. For it. Yeah. So we've heard this before, and I and I added an Andy Gridley end to it. Oh, you rewrote a Franciscan <laughs> so prayer. I know. I'm probably, I love it. I'm probably going to go to jail. So. <laughs> Franciscan jail. Yeah, as we think about expectations, as we've looked to Jesus as our head, um, the leader of our life, here we go. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of God's creations so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. 
May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. May God bless us with just enough foolishness to believe that God is at work in this world, doing what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and all our neighbors who are poor. May God bless us with courage in the midst of our disappointments to ask honestly of God, are you the one? And may God bless us with ears and a heart of faith to hear his voice beckoning us still come to me. So good. That's really good. And boy, that ties perfectly. He must have been reflecting on that, this passage of scripture you guys just talked mm-hmm. on. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, that's amazing. Well, thank you guys for that reminder that in the midst of John the Baptist, di- most difficult moment on this, on this planet, Jesus says, come to me, you know, and uh, the same is true for you and I and for everyone listening in our deepest moments of whatever it might be. And we don't know when those moments are going to come, but they will come. Unfortunately, that's the, that's the promise. Yeah. The invitation has come to me. Yeah. That's so cool. Thank you, Dana. Thank you, Andy. You're Thanks welcome. guys. It was and, fun. and we'll Thank see you. you. We'll see you soon. See you soon. All right. All right. Bye. Just want to say thanks to Andy Gridley and Dana Clifford for stopping by. Join us next week where we're going to be delving into one of the more difficult passages in Matthew. Uh, I'll have Karina Gerard and Steve Clifford here talking about when Jesus starts picking fights. Oh, it's about to be on like Donkey Kong, ladies and gentlemen. So join us for that, and we'll see you next week.